1: The Bucks never stop here. You're listening to Green and Growing, hosted by Sparky Pfeiffer and Nathan Marzion.
2: Welcome in another edition of Green and Growing. Steve Sparky Pfeiffer here. Normally, Nathan Marzian there. However, uh, today, a special guest co-host, J.R. Radcliffe, training sports reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Follow him on Twitter at J.R. Radcliffe. You can follow me at Sparky Radio. Uh, Nathan will be back again on Thursday night recording this Uh, at like 11 o'clock in the morning on Monday. So before the Packer Giants game, before the Bucks bulls game, so forth. So if you're listening to this, I'm like, what the heck are y'all talking about? That's why we're recording a little bit earlier in the day on Monday, if you're listening to this on, say, Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, Okay, JR, first let's start off with the Bucks, and everybody will know what I'm talking about here because I want to talk about what happened uh, after the Bucks pacers game. Now, Nathan and I, we did a post-podcast live streamed on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page like we're doing with this right now. And I was kind of going off about Giannis not hustling back on defense um, and some other stuff that I was irritated with that I didn't like uh, in this game. I didn't think it was going to lead to the point of Bobby Portis exploding after the game. We'll get to that. Um, And I didn't expect it to get to the Giannis quotes that we got to here. Giannis said uh, when asked about, you know, all the issues of what's going on, he said, even if it was about the organization, the coaches, I try to shoot straights. But at the end of the day, I don't as much as I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. At the end of the day, the players play the game. We play the game. You know, coaches can say whatever they want to say and put us in the position to be successful. You hope they do that for you. But you've got to make the plays. You know, like you don't sprint back on defense. It's not in the coach's fault. You don't sprint back. If you're not able to execute down the stretch, you turn the ball over and you throw it to your opponent's hands. It's not the coach's fault willard's been turning it over quite a bit uh you've just got to be a man you have to take that we have to come together as a team this is game 22 we have 60 more we've got to keep on coming together as a team we've got to keep on spending time together we've got to keep watching film together we have to keep getting on the court together we haven't had time the time to practice we play every other day it's hard it's hard i not going to lie, it's hard to practice in this league. Come on, man. <laughs> it's not like playing overseas. Overseas, you play one game, two games a week. You have four days a week and come back and work on your game plan. You know uh, what you're going to do defensively, how you're going to guard teams. But in the NBA, that's not the case. You practice while you're playing the game. But at the end of the day, in order for us to ex- expedite our chemistry, we have to keep coming together.
1: First, first, okay. of all,
2: okay. <laughs> so, for, first of all, I try to read that as quickly as possible so we don't waste the whole podcast with me reading quotes. But, but th- this is the thing. This is kind of where I'm at. W- when this whole thing started and everybody was like, oh, yeah, get rid of Bud. Yay, get rid of Bud. Everybody's excited about getting rid of Bud. Okay, fine. So now Bud's gone. So then it was the finalists. And Marzian and I were going over the final three. We're like, oh, it's, it's going to be Nick Nurse. Adrian Griffin was literally third of the final three. Like, that's not happening. It's nice, but there's no way. Then comes the report that Giannis, according to reports, who knows? I don't think he's actually ever said it on the, on the record, wanted a former NBA player as his coach, and he was the one that lobbied to get Adrian Griffin hired. Okay, So Adrian Griffin gets hired. Then we hired Terry Stotts, and I – oh, man, yeah. Now, remind you, if we rewind, I asked for Terry Stotts to be fired years ago, but we won't remember that. We'll just move <laughs> forward with that. So I was okay. Bring in Terry Stotts, right? Got to have that gray hair, that guy that's been around, former head coach. Perfect. Then they bring Pronti in, former interim head coach, but still been around the league a long time, knows the teams, no scouting. Love that. Then we have a fallout in practice, and Stotts quits. Now, to me, I don't know, man. To me, that was a red flag. Like, what the hell is going on that we have Terry Stotts quitting right before the season? So that was a little bit of, and Marzian was all like, ah you won't even, it, this will not be a thing. Like nobody's mm-hmm. even going to bring this up by the end of the year. They'll be fine. They have Lillard and Giannis. They don't need an offensive coordinator or coach or whatever the case may be. And I've been telling people, chill out, give Adrian given as much of a chance as possible. But between Giannis talking about, yeah, they can tell us whatever they want, but we have to make plays. Now, Bobby Port is this thing that we'll get into. I don't know, man. I, I, I might have a little doubt starting to creep in on what is going on over there with the box.
3: So even a couple weeks ago, I, I think I, – this is what I was telling people. The Terry Stotts thing by itself doesn't matter to me. The starting slowly with a new a new coach, a new star player, new fringe players. Fringe is even too strong. Like Malik Beasley and Campaign are like regular contributors here. So yes. you can't discount them. Those guys don't play defense either. I mean, that's that's harsh. But like if you want to look at the overall defense, which is the thing that's kind of the central issue here, you've got three guys – who are getting regular minutes? Who do not play the level of defense that previous Bucks teams have played? So that's why it's more than just one player or or one you know sort of one aspect. But you merge the two together: the Terry Stotts thing plus the issues that they have had trying to get on the same page. And yeah, it is a red flag. I thought it was a red flag. I think it's concerning. And I know there's there's sort of that civil war on Bucks Twitter about if Adrian Griffin is the guy or if you can tell at this point in the season so early if he is the guy. I know that's sort of the the central rift. I lean more toward the latter. You know, you just need a ton of data before you can really rule out a guy. But here's why this thing concerns me. It's got nothing to do, really, with Bobby Portis. You know that, like, like you laid out, Giannis and Adrian Griffin presumably have some sort of connection because Giannis was a big part of the, of the process in and hiring Adrian Griffin, like you said, kind of a surprise that he's the guy, not kind of, shocker that he's the guy of those three names that you mentioned. So... Giannis and Adrian Griffin are, are connected here. There, there, it, it, it was. You have to think it was at least in some part, some large part, Giannis's call. And then you have this report from Chris Haynes, who is a who is con, as connected as can be with Damian Lillard. Yep. You know, he's Damian, Damian. Lillard and Chris Haynes are also connected. If there's a report coming from the locker room, it's not coming from Bobby Portis or anybody else. It's coming from Damian Lillard, right? Or somebody. You know, at least Damian Lillard is is aware that Chris Haynes is going to be reporting this at the very least. So this is a this is a conflict between not just Adrian Griffin, but isn't isn't this a conflict between the two star players on this team? Throw in the fact that they have not connected. They the pick and roll thing has been discussed. The fact lack of handoffs, you know, things that you would have expected 22 games in. Yeah, it's just 22 games, but would they not have been making progress to this point? And they're still winning games. They've still shown an ability to do things in the clutch. That's all well and good, but I I don't think it's unfair for Bucks fans to be looking at this as you know, yes, they're, they're still a good regular season team. They can roll out of bed and win regular season games, but we are looking at a team that we think can win a championship, and there's no evidence throughout the first 22 games that this is a championship-caliber team. Not yet, and you'd like to think that they're going to get there, but if the two stars are in opposite camps of something, that would concern me, and, you know, I don't know who he's talking about specifically about throwing under the bus, but, you know, if, if it is on the defensive side, Damian Lillard is... A little culpable there for sure. As great as he is offensively, so I guess I guess that was is what concerns me. Not that Bobby Portis maybe like got upset with Adrian Griffin or however that's being painted. It's where this is coming from versus Giannis's side of this of explanation of events. And I think you're connecting those dots too. Like you don't you don't want these two stars to be at odds with each other and struggle working together. And right now, I don't know. Do we have evidence that they're really like gelling at all on the court, off the court? Not really. So I guess that that is a concern, I think. Well, they're both like.
2: getting their points, though, right? I mean, they are. Giannis yep. is getting 30 plus. Lillard's right around 25 to 30 every night. So they're both getting their points. Middleton's minutes have come up. He's going right, right, right around his average of 20. Mm-hmm. So scoring wise, it's not like Lillard's averaging 10 and he's pissed off because he's not getting any shots and so forth. Now, I, I personally would like to see him be more aggressive in that first segment when Giannis is getting ready to go out right away with this rotation they have let let me ask you this if terry stotts was the head coach and not adrian griffin do you Mm. think we'd be in this situation because he's a former head coach he coached lillard he's had success with them in portland it's probably the most success they've had since the drexel drexel porter era uh, when stotts got there with lillard as far as continuously going to the playoffs and they got to the what the western conference championship was the, the farthest they got with stotts but would they be in a better situation, do you think, if they had a former proven head coach versus a guy that's, let's be frank, he's learning, and and you're going to have bumps when you're learning how to do something?
3: I, I don't I, – I can't answer that definitively. I, I Yes, I do think so. I think so because you're going to have somebody who's been through these situations and it's not going to – you know, there isn't going to be a situation at the end of a game where a play – Call isn't made like late in that Indiana game, as was kind of as as kind of came out that they didn't have a a set to run, and it was kind of just everybody for themselves, and it ended up ending poorly against Indiana. That's what
2: got Portis pissed off? That was part of yes. what got Portis pissed off.
3: Yeah, I don't think that happens with Terry Stotts. I mean, I don't know how you think it would, no. but but there's also you know Adrian Griffin has you know I I would push back for those who think he hasn't. Changed or like adjusted, like I do think he's been open-minded. Which he's is let players do what they want, pretty much. Yeah, and obviously you can go too far on that front too. I, I don't know if you would see that from Terry Stotts. He maybe would have a more uh, a better concept to start with, but less less ability to mold. You know, so I, I guess it's a little bit of a give and take. I don't know. You know, when Giannis says it's the players, I mean. If guys don't play defense, it doesn't matter who the coach is, and and that is partially on the coach to kind of create the structure and know which you know which matchups. Of course, it is, and I think you got to allow for a little bit of experimentation on Adrian Griffin's part. There would be some of that for Terry Stotts too. This would be his first time coaching these players, with the exception of Lillard for the most part. So there would there would have to be some of that. But yeah, I think uh, Adrian Griffin's a huge risk. Like, there's no two ways about it. It was a huge, huge risk clearly done with the blessing of Giannis who kind of I imagine wants to grow with this coach and kind of develop this relationship and have this guy be sort of you know sort of sort of two guys that can that can kind of grow together and and figure each other out and uh I it would be a very different vibe if Terry Stotts were here would also be Damian Lillard's side of things, you know, right. like Terry Stotts is Damian Lillard's guy, so you could see if you're Giannis, why that isn't an appealing scenario. I am not saying Giannis had anything to do with the Terry Stotts thing. I have no way of knowing that, and I don't. I don't even really speculate that. I'm just saying that if, if you're choosing between the Giannis way or the Damian way, which way is going to win out in Lillard. Milwaukee? Well, for me, Lillard would have won out, sure, with the proven guy, but, but not in Milwaukee, again, not in the established, not when Giannis is the established guy right. here. But
2: Giannis is the superstar; he makes the call, whatever. But at some point. It, it, again, depends how this happens. If they go to the playoffs, they get knocked out in the first round and nothing has changed. Are they yeah. going to fire him after one year and say, we yes. screwed up, we're going to do something different? And the goes, nope, I want him. I want to play with him. He's my guy. We're going to roll together. Yes, yeah, he not, not right. See, So at some point here, somebody's going to have to step in if this isn't doesn't work. Now again, as I said before, I think it can still be worked out and so forth. I'll tell you, defensively, we can talk about effort and all that stuff. That's all fixable. My issue is this switching defense, when you get to the postseason, you can pretty much game plan to help get you a Brook Lopez trying to guard a guard out on the wing. And when that happens, like it did with Halliburton and against Indiana, and he just jabs at him, comes back and takes a three, it's over. But he never got put in that situation. And seeing him out on the wing trying to guard guards, it hasn't happened once. It's happened several times. When you can do a game planning situation, because – For people that don't know, in the NBA regular season, there's not a ton of game planning. You're just trying to play your offense and trying to play your style of defense, and you're really not focused in nearly as much on the details because you don't have the time. Because there's so many games, you don't have the time to put all that effort in. Well, once you get into a best of five or a best of seven, that's all you have time to do. That's all you're focused on. That's really when you're going to see what Adrian Griffin is all made about. And this coaching staff is made about because that's when you see whether or not, you know, they make the correct adjustments and do the right things. That's what Bud got crucified for when he was here. That's what Bud got crucified for in Atlanta was not making the adjustments. And now you're going to put a rookie head coach with a team that's in a win or go home type scenario. Like you, you called it a gamble. Yeah. And you Mm -hmm. wish upon a star and hope it works. That that's kind of where we're at right now.
3: Yeah. And even in the playoffs. Brooke got played off the floor in the playoffs with under Bud. Like that's that's happened, and just to speak to your point that it's doable, no matter no matter who the coach is, and, and I, I don't know, like where they could have gone after firing Bud. You know that would have been a a clear cut definitive upgrade. You're talking about a, a coach who won a championship two years ago, and yep. yes, the success has not been there in the playoffs, and and that is obviously what you're shooting for, and therefore it makes it difficult to evaluate anything right now because it is truly about all that is learned over the course of the regular season. They're a good enough regular season team, you know they're going to the playoffs, and then it's about what happens there. You know, it could be a complete disaster. It could be that all this all these lessons turn into a, a hell of a coach, you know, and a, and, and a great situation, but you know, I, I guess like you could say they weren't going to get a better guy. Maybe Nick Nurse, I guess. They weren't. They weren't going to get an obvious upgrade. So why not go in a completely different direction and try somebody who doesn't have coaching experience and see if, if that's the energy they need to bring in? I mean, now we're talking about vibes and not like X's and O's. So it gets a little, it gets a little funky fast. But, um, I, 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 I if they Do they le- hire Griffin if they had Lillard already. Oh, I don't. I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I. Th- think so or would they have hired Stotts well they, yeah I mean see if you hire Stotts in that situation though you are you are actively saying we are choosing Lillard over Giannis not not that that would be you know and maybe Giannis would even be on board with that I, I don't know but now you are you are bringing in not just the player but the player's guy as your coach right and that feels like that feels like a complete shift now I don't know if he signs the extension Giannis that's a good point so that's a uh, that's tricky I I yeah I don't know I I I just can't imagine if they lose in the first round of the playoffs again or even if they lose in the second round that Adrian Griffin is going to be back. You know, like it's. I I don't know where the point is where you say an experiment didn't work. I know that again, going back to that Bucks Twitter civil war, like a lot of people have already hit that point. I just can't imagine it extends into a second season where it's like, well, you know, we learned a lot in the first season, let's let's run it back. I mean, these guys are all in their thirties, with the exception of Giannis, who actually will be in his thirties starting next year. Like you're you're out you're out of time to really make this click at its peak efficiency. So I, I just have to think that they then go after a guy like Terry Stotts, not him necessarily, but a guy like that to to sort of move move forward at that point. That would be so wild.
2: It would be. Or if gets be canned and they bring Stotts back as head coach after they had the falling out in
3: practice, oh my God. Uh, and the JR- thing is, you, you can't expect this to happen. The Bucks are so good. They should win the first-round series. Yes. Even even struggling, they should win the first-round series. And then the second round, probably that too. Like, they're just so good. you got to think that they figure some things out as the year goes on. I agree.
2: I do hope that they figure some things out. I'm just saying I've had my first little bit of doubt creep in after the reactions that I saw <laughs> after the Pacers game from players. Now I'm starting to wonder how much they're actually bought into this whole thing. He yeah, has Rackley, Follow him on Twitter. JR Racklett. Follow me at Sparky Ray. Take a quick time out. Come back. Other side. Got to talk about uh, the NBA ENC's in tournament. You've heard me complain and bitch about this thing for weeks, About stuff I don't like. And now they're talking about making tweaks. All goody. Uh, We'll talk about that (laughs) next year on Green and Growing. Back on Green and Growing, Steve Sparky Pfeiffer. Check out uh, all the recent interviews and stuff I got going on over at 1250amthefan.com. J.R. Radcliffe, trending sports reporter for the journal Sentinel. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at JR Ratcliffe. You and uh, Mr. Ozarski also do a little pod together, too, don't you?
3: Yeah, we do. We've, we've peeled it back a, a little bit this year, the uh, The Point Forward podcast, which which will be coming out every so often. We, uh, we've we been doing some videos at jsonline.com, just shorter bursts. Uh, but uh, but we'll still have that over the course of the season. It's not going to be every week, but it'll be out there quite a bit. And, uh, and yeah, we, we, look, we look at uh, what's going on with the Milwaukee Bucks as often as we can. All right, in-season tournament.
2: I think it was a success from the standpoint of, I feel like the players bought in um, and probably played a little bit harder in certain situations than maybe they would have had it been normal November or December games. So I think that's a win. I think from a rating standpoint, obviously it's a win. People Mm -hmm. tuned in and were buying into it uh, as well. Okay, now having said that, let's talk about the ancillary stuff that doesn't matter outside of to people like me. I hate those effing courts so much. <laughs> I just, I absolutely hate them. And then, you know, Jalen Brown is talking about, hey, safety's got to be first here. Um, and slipping and yeah. having issues with ice drinks, with those paint, with that paint. And Silver coming out this weekend and saying, yeah, we didn't think about that. We have to make sure we have the right paint. But, but, that idiot, Silver. Oh, I really like the color, though. I like lots of color. Maybe a little bit more creativity. <laughs> then he went as far as to say, That for the finals, they're they're talking about having special courts for the NBA finals this year. And not only just with a trophy, possibly, but doing some other stuff with the court. Mm -mm. Now, again, I got into with some dude on Twitter about this. And he's like, oh, Sparky, you know, people, people love it. And, you know, obviously it's working. The TV ratings are up and so forth. I'm like, man, so if the Packers change their color of their jerseys to pink. Is it okay?" Because. You're also going to watch a Packer game. don't matter what color jersey they have. You'd be mad, but you're still going to watch. Still going to go to Lambo. People ain't going to bail. So does that matter? Well, of course it does matter. Everybody's got an opinion on what they like and what they don't like. For me, I don't like it. Maybe it's playing to the 18-year-olds and the 20-somethings and the NBA 2K generation, and maybe that's what this is all about. I can't stand it. Um, And now he's talking about possibly bringing it to the NBA Finals too. Uh, your thoughts on the in-season tournament before I get going on some more stuff.
3: Mostly I liked the in-season tournament. I hated that the Lakers won it, that invalidated the whole experience for me and I'm sure a lot of people. Um, I liked the courts to be quite honest, but not not because I thought they were aesthetically pleasing, they were they were not. But I will say this, that during the pool play, when you looked up at a TV screen and saw those god-awful courts, you knew it was an in-season tournament True. game. It really yeah. identified it for you as, as a viewer. and. It stopped being cool to me after a while, I think. I I would be strongly against putting those courts in during the NBA Finals. I mean, what's cooler than seeing the Milwaukee Bucks playing in the NBA Finals on the Bucks court, you know, with all the Bucks logos around? I mean, basketball arenas all look the same. You know, the court is kind of what stands out, especially from a TV standpoint. So, you know, it it would be, I think, a real loss if they decided to do that, similar to how I think it's a loss that – in all-star games, specifically baseball, I'm talking about, they they wear you know uniform uniforms where it's they take away your, you know, if as much differentiation as you can get is the better, you know, cater to the people who are actually who have followed these teams to to you know to the finals or to the all-star game or whatever, like cater to your fans, but um, I liked I liked the in-season tournament for the most part. I think it kind of it feels like it ran out of steam for me. Well, I mean, obviously after the Bucks' lost, but even even after the final now, it's like, oh, now you go back to the regular season. You know, we had this thing, and now it's still December, and there's miles of regular season to go. It feels like there, there's a little bit of a drop-off. I don't know if that means moving it to after the new year. Probably not. That would probably be unrealistic, and, you know, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's, pre- it's pretty much it. But uh, I I don't know. Um you know, it was cool that Tyrese Halliburton kind of had a star turn. This this made a made a moment for the Indiana Pacers and their fans. And Tyrese Halliburton is on everybody's radar now. And before that, he was not. Obviously, I follow him closely as a Wisconsinite, so it's it's cool that that he's done that. But I do think that the idea of it making a star out of someone is is also a cool thing and is something that could potentially happen every year. And, uh, and that's it. That's, that's kind of where I fall. So great that the Lakers can win all the, the, the new made up toys in addition to all the other toys of being the most, you know, one of the m- most spotlighted franchises in the NBA. But, uh, you know, they, they, they went out and they deserved it. They took it. So.
2: The other thing that's come up from the players is they want it to mean more than just money, they mm. want it to have some type of, you know, regular season or playoff type thing. Now, I think everybody agrees you can't just give an automatic playoff berth. But I, saw, I forgot who it was. Somebody mentioned that, okay. So if there's a tie for a a playoff spot, the tiebreaker should be if you win the in-season tournament, you automatically win the tiebreaker regardless of head-to-head or whatever else. If you won it, you automatically win the tiebreaker. I don't necessarily hate that idea necessarily. the odds of that coming up, up,
3: though. That's not going to come up.
2: Very, very small, right. Um, So I don't know necessarily what the in-season tournament gets you. Maybe the in-season tournament gets you Uh, The choice of when you want to have home court advantage flipped to you in a series. Hmm. So, you know, maybe you're the, I don't know, the five seed or whatever. And in the first round, instead of the four seed having home court because you won the tournament, you get to flip home court to your advantage. Now, this does not work for a team that's the one seed, right? But for every other team that's not the one seed, you can flip it. Now, and you could pick when you want to flip it, right? So you could say, no, nope, I'm not gonna flip it this round. I think we can win this round, but I'm gonna flip it when I see the Bucks in the next round to be my advantage, since we like if you're the Pacers, I'm gonna take home court away for us and be able to flip it to us for one round. You can't do it for the whole the whole postseason. Mm-hmm. You gotta pick your round of when you want to do it. Now, if you win the in-season tournament, you don't make the playoffs. Well, too bad, so sad. That's on you. Uh-huh. But this that I think would be intriguing. Like, are they gonna when are they gonna use their flip? Uh, in the postseason. And now all of a sudden, that one seed seed that doesn't care, like Denver, right? Or maybe Milwaukee or Boston, like, oh, this is fun, but who cares? I, we just got Now all of a sudden, now it means something. Because if the one seed wins it, now nobody can flip you and you're set kind of going forward. But if anybody else gets it, they can take home court right away from you.
3: It's not a bad idea. I think it penalizes just one team and one team specifically that happens to get matched up with that team in the it, as we've seen in the past. That can be really random at the end of the year. So and it, it hinges on teams resting guys and you know teams yep. just maybe not being super. You know I, I don't know. You start you start to get into that stuff, which I think makes it a little more complicated. I think with stuff like this, it's usually the simplest solution, and that's to straight up give give a team a playoff spot, like at least the eighth seed. And I know that's a big that's a big thing to to deliver, but or the ten. Just yeah. Oh, sure.
2: To the play in tournament. Even better.
3: Even better. They even. Yes, I think that's that's fine. Or or give them grant them home court in that situation. I don't know. You can we could get into the weeds a little bit there. But uh, yeah, I mean, so many teams make the playoffs. So I feel like you're it's already a long shot that a team. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
3: wins the in-season tournament wouldn't get a, a regular season berth I mean they, they already have a few wins on their ledger like four or five right. wins on their ledger so uh, so that's that's not a bad situation um, I, I agree with you probably more than money something something because the only other way that this is going to gain s- sort of stature is time you know it just has to be this thing that's respected throughout years and years and we're not obviously we're not there yet and it's gonna it's not gonna take like it's gonna take more than five ten years it's gonna have to be this thing that really develops a reputation over time so without that carrot I think you just kind of have to wait. I don't. I, I'm, the, I'm sure the NBA is going to be impatient because they have ratings to sell, and you know they want to get this on front of you know in a in a package, a national package. So I'm sure that uh, that they want to hurry it up. And I, it wouldn't surprise me to see them make it a a you know a guaranteed playoff berth. You know that it's sort of interesting. It's kind of like strike strike divided baseball seasons where. It's not quite the same, but like, for example, in 1981, when the Brewers made the playoffs, the Yankees knew for the entire second half of the season that they were going to the playoffs because they won the first half. So they kind of played like garbage in the second half. They didn't have a very good record because right. why bother? You know, I mean, obviously you want to improve beyond the eighth seed or whatever, like get, get in top top four seed. But uh, <laughs> I think that's that, that'd be just an interesting thing. Like, well, we know we're going to the playoffs, so we're just going to kind of chill for the last few weeks of the season, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. What, what about this?
2: What, what about adding another line uh, on the court? Because you're making special courts anyhow, so who cares? It's mm-hmm. not like you're making a brand new special court. So for the in-season tournament, make a four-point line and mm. space it back from the three-point line. Look, guys like Lillard and Curry want to shoot from half-court anyhow. Okay, well, then at least reward them. You want to take a shot that far out, we're going to make another four, we're going to make another line, and it's four points if you hit it from back there. That would be something different than the regular season.
3: You're right. As somebody who follows a team that has Damian Lillard, I am strongly in favor of that idea. Uh, I imagine Golden State Warriors fans feel similarly as, uh, as a team that doesn't have a shooter like that. I think right. that's too—it's ruining the game of basketball. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that'd be cool or— you know, just any any real tweaks to the rules that are that are unique or different would be would be cool. I I, I like I like that idea. It's it's unconventional. They're never gonna do it, but it, it's because these games do still count as regular season games. I think they probably would have a problem with that. But I uh, I'm into it. Let's do it. Let's do the four point line. I love that. All right. Last thing on the
2: in season tournament. Do you like point differential to where guys are running up scores uh, at the end? I think some players and coaches liked it. Other players and coaches were offended by it and refused to do it they're stupid, mm-hmm. play by the rules. If the rule is that, then you do it, regardless if you think it's embarrassing somebody else or not. I That just is dumb by not wanting to do something. Uh, but I like it. I like point differential. I'm all for it. Continuing uh, your thoughts,
3: Jarek. This is the NBA. Babies are worried about point differential, and if you embarrass the team. Just... Yep. I mean I could see it arguing from a different point of view like you have to roll up the score and that puts my stars in jeopardy because now they're out in the fourth quarter of a blowout game and I don't want to have to use them if I don't have to. So I could understand that point of view but point differential, first of all, is very easy. It's – there's no other obvious metric that you're going to use there without getting really complicated and I just don't care about their NBA players' feelings about whether or not they get blown out like – keep playing and if you don't if you don't care fine that's on you but then they're going to roll up the score and that's just that's right. just how it is so I, yeah i, I it's a, it's totally fine it's totally fine to me all right, take another quick time. I'll
2: come back on the other side. want to talk touch on some non-buck stuff, right? I want to get uh, J.R. Radcliffe, because he's a you know training sports reporter for the Journal Sentinel, <laughs> so he knows everything. So we're going to get his thoughts a little bit on Jordan Love, the Packers, what he was thinking maybe in the beginning of the year, the middle of the year and now kind of where he is on this whole situation involving the Packers and, uh, and Jordan Love and what the offseason holds for the Packers and Jordan Love get his thoughts on that and Shoei Otani's mm-hmm. contract is worth maybe more than the Brewers. Almost. (laughs) Almost. Uh, So we'll talk about that, the effect it has on the Brewers. And what about Corbin Burns, stay or go? That's all straight ahead here on Green and Growing with J.R. Radcliffe of the Milwaukee Journal Center. Follow him on Twitter at J.R. Radcliffe. Follow me at Sparky Radio. Alright, back. Last segment here of Green and Growing. Steve Sparky, Fiverr, 1250 AM The Fan. Uh, check out all the interviews up at 1250 a.m. thefan.com At Sparky Radio on Twitter or X, whatever. Uh, at J.R. Radcliffe uh, of the uh, Milwaukee journal Sentinel, Training Sports Reporter. Our co-host today, Nathan Marzian, is out. We'll be back on Thursday, uh, Jr. wanted to get some non-sports stuff uh, while we on buck stuff, I should say, while we have you on Green and Growing, and the Packers have Green. Uh, and again, we're taping this I uh, hear uh, Monday morning, way before the Packers and Giants play. Uh, <laughs> your thoughts, I guess. Where were you on Jordan Love before the season and the Packers? Where were you on Jordan Love and the Packers in the middle of the season? And now, where have you gone to with Jordan Love and the Packers now? Because I feel like a lot of people have been on a
3: roller coaster of emotions in this whole thing. (laughs) It's so funny that we were talking about Adrian Griffin earlier because, honestly, it kind of informs my thought process a little bit. Because in the middle of the season, I was out on Jordan Love. I, I, I was convinced. He's 25 years old. He's not a rookie. Yes, he's a first-year starter. Of course he is. But he's been working working towards this for three years. He wasn't accurate. He's not accurate enough. He's not a guy that's going to get markedly better at 25 years old in the accuracy department. Now, there are some situations, there are some rare situations where a guy has gotten better. Josh Allen is a good example. But you, know, you just don't see guys suddenly, and, and it, he was like this in college. He couldn't throw a deep ball in college. So, it, it, you know, you start to wonder what what are they seeing? Like, wh- where is he going to get better? I was convinced that he he was not it. I was open minded before the season. You know, saw him a few games. And it's like I don't I don't know. Like he's not he's not devoid of talent, obviously. But mm, I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to discover at the end of the year they got to move on. Well, then four games go by where he's awesome, and now of course I think completely differently. I was wrong. I mean, I don't I don't know how else I can look at it. Like he he is he is so poised in the pocket. He is he is more accurate. He is getting better at the deep ball. I mean, it's not great, but it's not bad. He seems to go through his progressions beautifully. And I mean, he's led them into the playoff standings. the Packers are like, again, we're recording this before the Giants game, so it might change a little bit, but like they are like going to the playoffs. I mean, even if they go three and two, their odds are decent to go to the playoffs, like really decent that they can still go to the playoffs. So that's astonishing to me. I did not, you know, when they lost to Pittsburgh, I was... Completely ambivalent about how that game was 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 ending. It's like, well, you know, oh, like them I was to win. But yeah, like it
2: occurred long after the Packer Packers Steelers game. I'm like, I know they lost, but I'm happy.
3: Like yep. this offense. Move up that draft chart. Like it's
2: starting to click. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Here comes the offense. You could see it. And you know, it's a lot of Packers like, you're an idiot. I don't want to hear about moral victories, whatever. But again, you had the youngest offense. It was going to yep. take time for everybody to get on the same page. And The one throw that he made in the Lions game, I think it was the first touchdown to Jaden Reed. They asked him about, or was it the Chiefs game? I don't know, one of them, where Jaden Reed catches that ball and Watson flashes it in front of him with the DB behind him. And they're like, man, that was some throw. And he goes, well, honestly, Christian Watson ran the wrong route. He wasn't even supposed (laughs) to be there. I don't even know how Jaden Reed caught that ball. Yeah. So even now, we have people running the wrong damn routes at the wrong time. So I was never ever at any point out on jordan love mm. i was like i'm just not i just show me two or three weeks at the end where you come around a hundred three hundred yards and i'm good for next year let's roll and it came way earlier i i didn't think it would click but at the end of that Steelers game i was happy i was like yeah. okay we're coming we're figuring it out little by little now having said that rob domofsky wrote a great piece on tom clemens um mm-hmm. and lafleur's in there saying oh, yeah, he can come back, you know, if he like next year. You know, the quarterback room really likes him. Nowhere in that entire quote that I read did I see Matt LaFleur go, I really like him. I'll tell you how much I really like Tom Clements. I hated Tom Clements when he was here earlier with Aaron Rodgers because, not because of anything Tom Clements did, no, but because Aaron Rodgers made me hate him. Why did Aaron Rodgers make me hate him? Because every time somebody asked Aaron Rodgers, so, you know, how, how great you've become for me, rookie era. Never, ever gave credit to Mike McCarthy. The quarterbacks. Oh, that's a, <laughs> never. Oh, Tom Clements, this Tom Clements that I'm like, dude, get out of here. Man's been in the league. How many different teams? And now he's <laughs> some quarterback savant. Shut up. Get out of here with that nonsense. Well, then Clements leaves and don't think anything of it. And then you go see him go to Kyler Murray and puts him at MVP level and rookie of the year, the whole deal. And you're like, OK, but he was supposed to be good. Well, then Tom Clements leaves and what happens to Kyler Murray? Mm -hmm. Not been the same since. So I was like, okay, maybe something there. They bring Tom Clements back. And again, here's Sparky looking like an idiot. Hey, this isn't about Jordan Love. This is about making Aaron Rodgers happy. Don't think it's anything else. You're a bunch of morons. This has nothing to do with Jordan Love. Well, it kind of did because Jordan Love was getting better under Clements last year. And I'm sure at some point they went to Clements and said, well, what do you think? And he said, I think he can play. Yeah, you know, I think he'd be good. Yeah, yeah, We'll see. And now you see, and you said it, you've seen him get better in progression. And Clements in that article talks about with him, the only thing is just making sure that footwork is kind of consistent. And he's finally starting to get consistent footwork when, when he's throwing the ball mm-hmm. and stuff. And that was the biggest thing with him going forward. And if I was the Packers, I'd go to Tom Clements and go, I know you're older than dirt, but here you go. I'm not putting play an tech. end date on here. Here it is. We're going to give you a million dollars a year. Whatever makes him one of the higher paid assistants in the league. And we're done. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Jordan Love's a great guy. So I don't think he has an issue working with Jordan Love. Like, I've never heard anything bad about the kid. Mm. So I think he's a good kid to work with. Clifford in that article talking about how him and the other backup, talking about how much better they've gotten, just working on scout team with Tom Clements helping them. And they're not even getting starting reps at this point. Uh, So I'm super excited. Now I'll bring up to you what I've brought up to others. How much are we paying him? How much are we paying Jordan love? Because there's some talk thirty to forty million a year.
3: <sighs> I don't know, man. I mean, that's the problem they they just got over that problem. They just got over the problem of getting getting up to the point where you were paying the quarterback ultimately as much as you possibly could, and it it in it, it robbed you of an ability to to pay the rest of your team. Not but
2: not the same thing. not the same thing. It's not you because you
3: okay. because why? Well, because the current team is so young, they're all going to be on rookie contracts for a nah, while. So, <laughs> so yes, they have a window here, a two- to three-year window, where they're going to be in really good shape financially. Um... Yeah, I I don't I don't know. I don't know what they do. I mean, they they need more data because they still are they still don't have a full year of this kid. So, they need to see how he does down the stretch. The Packers have been the underdog for the majority of the season. That's going to change. I don't yep. I don't know if I really buy that that's going to dramatically change how how things go on the field, but it's a different vibe. I mean, they should win literally they should win their last 5 games. The Vikings game is going to be tough, but the other the other four certainly and then maybe that one too. They should win those games. So it's a it's different. It's different for him and it's different for his skill guys, too, who, like you said, and we underestimated. I mean, we were told the youngest team in the league is going to take a while to sort of come together and figure it out. And you, you know that. But you still you still in your mind, put it on the quarterback when things aren't going well. Well, you know. They were right. Like the youngest team in the league is figuring it out and running the right routes and figuring out how to how to make a catch and contact Christian yep. Watson or Jaden Reed for that matter. So so yeah, I, I mean, Dontavian Wicks I think is like a low key going to be a star even 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 though he doesn't even play full time at this point. Like uh-huh. he's amazing. Luke Musgrave who's been hurt amazing. <laughs> Tucker Craft has figured it out. Like everybody seems to be blossoming at the same time. So uh, so you're right in that sense that these guys are not not super expensive and you could see this team this team next year a couple couple additions could be really pretty great could win the nfc north at least last thing brewers
2: uh quickly here because we're way over uh corbin burns brewers showy otani 700 million to the dodgers i'm telling you right now as a (laughs) brewer fan
1: if your day sounds like we need the report asap you deserve medela if you've persevered through deserve this
3: rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more
2: rest, two more.
1: You deserve this ice cold reward. Modella, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crowley Port Chicago, Illinois.
0: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for walk qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
3: There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home.
0: That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. To navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the
2: National Association of Realtors. You can't wake up in the morning and look at me and go, yeah, we should keep Corbin and, you know, we can do something. No, you can't. You're you're just way too young in the everyday lineup. Devin Williams has two years left, fine. Uh, you have nobody to replace Brandon Woodruff because Miley was in the rotation last year, so he doesn't replace Woodruff. You know, unless you trade for a Shane Bieber uh, or a Glasnow or something like that, which they're not going to do because they're not serious. No. Um, you're not going to contend by keeping Corbin Burns. And the latest report from our Aussie sports insider, John Heyman says as of Sunday night, that they're planning on keeping him, which is beyond dumb. You can mark it down. That is the dumbest thing that you could possibly do. You're doing it to sell tickets and you're doing it to tell your fan base, oh, we're still trying to compete. That's why you're doing it. But in realistic terms, you should go to the highest offer. I don't give a damn if the highest offer is whatever you want to call uh, Craig counsel, Uh, down there in Chicago. If the highest offer is that team, fine. Then give them to Chicago and take back the best prospect package you can. If it's the Cardinals, then give them to the Cardinals. I don't care. He pitches every fifth day. So I do not care. It's not like you're giving him Otani, right? If you're giving Otani to Chicago and you're losing Otani, that's a completely different story. Then absolutely not. I'm not giving him to a rival. But in this situation, no, like best prospect package. Give me three prospects and a, a stud that's a triple A blocked and can't get to the big leagues at first or third base. And let's see what happens and go from there. This is supposed to be a rebuild. So now what? Now, if you're within a game or two of the playoffs at the all-star break and trade deadline, you're going to keep Corbin and just let him walk at the end of the season like he did Fielder? That's going to be the solution, and you're going to feel better about it because your fans are happy. Well, how are the fans going to be next year when they have nobody at the front of the rotation and no promise of anybody coming? God, that
3: pisses me off. <laughs> you're no fired thing. up. All right, so so first of all, the Brewers do not think of this as a rebuild, and I know that that we kind of sort of accepted that, when, especially when Woodruff got hurt, but the Brewers have never said, and I don't think are even thinking about this season as a rebuild, so that partially informs what they're doing. You know, they looked at last year, Woodruff was obviously incredible, but he only made 11 starts, and that's the type of thing that you can kind of fill that void. If you are. If you say to yourself, we were a 92-win team, mostly young players, if we bring a lot of those guys back, we could probably still win 92 games if, if we run it back. I do think it's prudent to trade Corbin Burns now, but only because I think what you would get at the trade deadline versus now is considerable enough to really you know to to really want to explore that. I do think there are teams that would be willing to give up a pretty good package. I don't think it would be now because there's still Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, there's still guys that are available on the free agent market that I think would be option A for a lot of these you he know, won a Cy teams. Young
2: award a couple years ago.
3: Yeah, but if you're gonna for for a team like the Giants or the the Rangers, like money is still easier to part with than your your up and coming prospects. I would say that once those guys are gone, teams are going to be like, hey, we didn't get one of our guys, so now we're going to really explore going for a big fish in the trade market. That being Corbin Burns. But but I don't know. I mean, I you know, if the Brewers would finally just spend some money finally and get like Reese Hoskins at first base and Mitch Garver as like a catcher DH type, then that's a really good baseball team. And then they should bring Corbin Burns back and figure it out. Maybe they trade him at the deadline. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do let him walk like Prince Fielder. I I doubt that's – I don't think we get that far, but I I don't know. Um, You know, I was just having this interesting conversation. You're talking about sort of serving the fans with with Kurt Hogue on our Microbrew podcast about how much this team is like the Tampa Bay Rays, which is a team that doesn't have a a, a rabid fan base but does – do really well with player development. The Brewers haven't always been great with player development, but they're getting there. And then just they they just don't take on long term contracts. They don't keep guys you know past their due date, so to speak. And they they trade these guys and then get younger. They stay young. Matt Arnold, former you know who who used to work for the Tampa Bay Rays, obviously is the general manager uh-huh. of the Brewers. And I I can see some of the same sort of blueprint here, but there is that aspect of we also have a fan base and we can't just trade all of our best players. You know I don't think they normally do trade all their They're best players. I mean, I I, I don't think there's any chance Burns comes back, so I think he's a special case where they they have to. They have to, I think. But I also don't know if you're going to get anything now that's going to serve – because, again, I don't think they think of it as a rebuild. I don't think you're going to get anybody for Burns that's going to help you win baseball games in 2024, and they think they're going to win in 2024. So who are they
2: going to win baseball games with at the front of the rotation in 2024 when you yourself said they're not going to spend money? So who are yeah. Who's the one and two in this rotation in 24 when we're supposedly trying to avoid a rebuild because we're trying to <laughs> play the role of Herb Cole? Why? Yeah, well, Why? I don't understand.
3: Well, I mean, obviously, if they keep Burns. It's Burns Peralta. That's a quality one, too. And if they get rid this of Burns. This year,
2: I'm saying in 24, not 24, in tw- Okay, 25. 25. 25. Okay. Yeah.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, that's Peralta relying on the development of guys like Robert Gasser and Jacob Mizorowski from the minor leagues. Mizarowski has a chance to be really, really special. The knock on him is he's got a funky delivery and he might end up being a bullpen guy. So and that's obviously a problem. Yeah. He does yeah. have control issues. Yes. So no doubt there's some question marks there. I think they, you know, it's not going to, they, they would have to sign, sign guys. It may not be top, top shelf guys. And I agree. It's going to be a step back for the pitching, but then maybe the, the offense picks up the slack. I mean, We've said this about how different the 2023 and the 2018 team were, the 18 team that goes to the NLCS with no pitchers. Like they had Wade Miley, Yoli Shasin, who had like two more years in major leagues. I don't think that's true. I think he was around for a while. But like that was duct tape and bailing wire of a pitching staff, and they used their bullpen heavily. And then they just had an MVP candidate and a few other guys who could hit the ball. Like, it was a totally different thing. So I think they're they're malleable enough to figure it out where they don't have this elite pitching staff and they can still win games. Um, but it's a balancing act when you don't spend money. It's it's totally a high wire act. You know, maybe Aaron Ashby comes back and is really good. Uh, he's got a high upside, but he's been hurt. I wouldn't count on him, but he definitely is in the mix there for sure. So he could be a potential ace. I don't know. That's uh, That's questions for down the road, I suppose. Right, and that's why you just to hell with Corbin Burns, and <laughs> out you go. Bye, bye, Willie Adams. See you
2: later. If somebody's want to take Yelich's contract, he's gone too. And you just rebuild this thing. Listen, you didn't get Weeks and Braun and Fielder because you were good. You got Weeks, Braun, and Fielder because you sucked. You're drafted high, and yep. you put yourself in a position to get these high-end players. That's how you do this when you're in this market. Yes. There is a a once-in-a-lifetime type organization named Tampa Bay that figured out how to do it their way, right? Well, the Patriots figured out how to do it their way. Cheating. But they figured out how to do it their way. Well, nobody else can get on that type of dynasty run like New England. But everybody's compared to, well, look how many times they've been in the Super Bowl compared to the Packers. And you have that that whole conversation. And guys mm-hmm. like Gary Ellerson are like, "Quit using that. That's not real yeah, life it's a bad stuff." Template. Right. So now you're doing to me what he talks about, <laughs> which is, "Well, look at Tampa Bay. Well, that's all you got. You got nothing." Once we get past Tampa, that conversation dies quickly. As far as small sure. market, not a lot of money, so forth, and. This fan base is drawing a hell of a lot more than Tampa's as far as money coming in and revenue and sales and all that stuff. So he should have more coming in from that perspective too. What he needs is he needs to go get Lazarus or somebody to invest a chunk Mm. of money into this damn thing and inject some life into this thing. That's I'm just saying he needs a big money investor to come in and throw some cash at this, that wants desperately into major league baseball, wants a taste, and eventually, that guy may leave to go buy a baseball team, but just wants in, wants to see how it works, wants to see how it plays, and that to
3: me, I think might be more of a game changer than anything else. Interesting. I mean, that yeah, sure, that'd be great. More money would be great. I think uh, the the thing that Major League Baseball people look at that that's going to work against that is yes, we could spend seven hundred million dollars on Shohei Ohtani. The Brewers probably actually can't, but most teams actually probably could make that work somehow. Is then the Arizona Diamondbacks won 84 games, and I, I hate that. I hate because here's the thing about the Rays: they haven't won a World Series. You know, like maybe right. their, their magic works in the regular season. They've been to World Series, but not even a lot of them. They've been to a couple they haven't they haven't won anything and and big market teams like the royals and we've talked about this before you know you could say that the the giants before, before they got before they started spending big and the and the royals like it's happened but it's rare still you get examples of teams like Arizona 84 wins not expected to do anything they go to the world series so and along the way the Braves who were unbelievable this year they don't get out of their first round of playoff games the Dodgers who were also unbelievable they don't get out of the first round so the, the baseball executives are saying, well, I could spend that much, but I don't really need to because as long as I'm good enough to get in, I have a shot. And I think Brewers fans would push against that, having seen what this has been since 2018 where they haven't won a playoff series. But baseball executives are saying it could, the 84-win team could have been us. So we're not going to spend $700 million because all we have to do is stay marginally competitive, win our division, or be a wildcard team, and we're going to maybe maybe get hot at the end of the year. And that's frustrating. That's frustrating for fans.
2: Use the Royals, please. Please. You walked right into it. That's perfect. All right. All right. Stock is Hosmer. How did they get them? They weren't good. They drafted then What, what changed, right? What changed the organization? Oh, they traded their best damn pitcher <laughs> and raided the Brewers farm system. And that finished the third rebuild. That, hmm. That's exactly what happened. They got all shield right. because they gave up who was the uh, pitcher that the Brewers traded in their best pitcher. Can't name his name. I'm blanking. Whoever it was. That was the crown jewel of that trade to get Shields. So then they get Shields, big game James, and he's huge for them. Lorenzo Cain comes in, Escobar, those guys all come in and finish that deal. Again, they sucked. They traded their best pitcher. They got a bunch of prospects to finish it. And then when they needed that big game pitcher, they chose not Jeff Supon, but big game James (laughs) Shields to finish it. And it worked. And and they overcame Ned Yost. Let me also point that (laughs) out. They overcame Ned Yost. He is J.R. Radcliffe. Follow him on Twitter at J.R. Radcliffe. trade sports reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I love me some JR Radcliffe. Follow me at Sparky Radio. Check out my interviews I do up at 1250 a.m. Thefan.com. JR, thanks as always, dude. That was fun. Absolutely. Let's do it again.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?